and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, a podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it. Brought to you by Brightsmith. We're your hosts. I'm Jenny Gladman. And I'm Ben Sparks. And in this fifth season, we're interviewing leaders, forward thinkers, and entrepreneurs from around the world to talk all things clean tech and clean tech careers. From the opportunities and challenges of working in clean tech to tips to get into the industry and why it's so rewarding to work in. We'll be hearing from a series of individuals, all with very different backgrounds, to discover how they forged their clean tech career and are fueling a cleaner, greener future. In addition, they'll be offering you some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage and inspire everyone to live their purpose every single day. So today we are very um, glad to host Erin from Inspiration Mobility. Erin uh, currently holds the position of Director of Strategy and Operations at Inspiration Mobility and is passionate about solving problems to build a greener, more sustainable world. When she's not working towards a greener tomorrow, Erin is pursuing one of her passions, which is writing specifically about bourbon and cocktails, which I'm sure she'll tell you a little bit more about in our conversation. Um, and Erin has a, a BA in International Affairs from GWU and an MA in Diplomacy and International Commerce. So Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Well, um, um, you know, I obviously gave a bit of background there, but um, would love to hear a little bit about your background. So could you give our, our, our audience a quick intro to who they're listening to? Yeah. So, I mean, as you said, um, I currently work for um, Inspiration Mobility. We are an EV solutions company really focusing on electrifying uh, fleets, you know, especially commercial fleets. <laughs> My title, it's funny, you know, it's it's one of those titles where when I was starting with the company, we were trying to come up with a good title. And I kind of just cobbled this one together because I am one of those people who wears many hats. I do many things, um, but that's how I like it. You know, you get to see and build a lot of different aspects of the organization. So I work on everything from managing our HR function, recruiting, uh, IT. So I have a IT and HR, so I am the most loved person, obviously. Um, and then I also work on all of our communications, as well as PR, social media, ESG, sustainability, both the reporting as well as the strategy. Um, and yeah, so that's that's kind of where I am now. And I know you mentioned my 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 side, my my this is my day job, and then that's my night job. Not really. I mean, you know, they're all all day jobs, aren't they? Um, except, don't worry, I'm not having bourbon right now. I was going to say maybe maybe it should be a night job. <laughs> I know, right? Um, no, but I grew up in in Kentucky, down the road from the Four Roses Distillery, and I've always been fascinated by bourbon as an industry and as its impact, um, especially how it came to be. I've always really loved to learn how how we kind of get the things that we get, right? And every single glass of spirit or cocktail is really culture in a glass. They all have stories to tell. And I feel like it's that way at, you know, companies have stories to tell. Every candidate has a story to tell. So I'm always that person who likes to dig a little bit deeper and understand why folks are or why things are the way they are. Awesome, which I'm sure leads you very well into your current role. Um, so I know when we first spoke, I was definitely interested in some of your earlier career moves. Um, obviously, you know, you've, you've, you've grown into the sustainability space, but I'd love to know a bit about the work you've done, you know, prior to being in the, the EV and sustainability world. 
Yeah. Well, growing up, I, I mean, you know, we all had our, I want to be a jazz singer. I want to be an actor. I want to be an astronaut. But my real sort of what I want to be when I grew up was I wanted to be a diplomat. I wanted to end up being an ambassador. I wanted to work for the State Department. Well, when I graduated from my master's degree in 2009, which was the height of the recession, um, you know, the government had put a, you know, a cap on, on hiring, especially for diplomats. And so I took a little bit of a different route. I moved to Korea because they were, they were hiring English teachers and I didn't speak a word of Korean. And my mother did not believe I was actually going to go until I did not come out of the airport. Um, and so that was a wonderful experience being fully immersed in another culture, not knowing the language. Um, and then, you know, from there, when I came back, I just moved directly back to DC. I ended up getting a, a temp job working in the conferences at the American Wind Energy Association, which is now merged uh, with the Solar Show and now they're American Clean Power. So that was really my first professional introduction to the world of renewables. And that was about a decade ago. And so I had the opportunity to speak with not just those on the sort of policy side or the consumer side, but also folks from places like Vestas and Siemens and people who were building all of the equipment that really fed the industry. So it allowed me to see how the industry coalesced with all of these different vendors and players. And then from there, I took uh, a little bit of a step uh, back into my international relations roots. And I, I got a job as the special assistant to the ambassador of Libya. Now that is the Libyan government's outpost here in Washington, DC. My third day on the job was Benghazi. Um, so crisis management, I guess I can also add to my resume. Um, but I loved it there. I was the, um, I mean, I was the highest ranking local staff. Um, so as far as Americans actually working at the embassy, so not only was I able to manage all of the local staff, but I also was a key partner to the diplomats there in engaging with the counterparties in the United States State Department, uh, Department of Defense, et cetera. And then from there, I was recruited into a program management firm. It was more of a startup environment. I, I mean, Libya is, I feel like, you know, at that point, this was also post-revolution. So I don't know, I guess you can think of it like a startup. Everything was new. They were trying to figure out, you know, how to do things. So um, you definitely had to be creative and extremely flexible. And so when I went into this startup space doing program management, we built large scale facilities overseas, really focused on medical cities, which in the Middle East, um, well, it's very hot. And people also, you know, just kind of like to do things in um, a single place. So this had multi-uses. So hospitals, schools, sometimes it had, um, you know, energy generation as part of that. So I worked a lot in the Middle East for about two years. Um, and towards the end of my time there, I also worked on some biomass projects, um, really more the trash to waste instead of the fiber, uh, which then led me into my next job, which was I became chief of staff to the chief financial officer at Inviva, which is the world's largest producer of industrial wood pellets. Um, and so they sell to Western Europe, uh, East Asia. I mean, and they, I mean, if you, if you look them up, they are growing like gangbusters too, because the, the biomass arena is, I mean, it's, it's one of the easiest, most renewable sources of clean energy. 
Um, and I, I was in that role until the CFO ended up transitioning, and I then worked for the next three years on all of their capital projects, so really expanding the capacity of manufacturing, building all of the new greenfield plants and ports, as well as assisting with the expansion projects of the existing facilities to expand capacity. And now I'm here at Inspiration. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's it's a lot, right? Um I, I feel like I need a, a shorter way to, to explain all of that, but I ended up here because I was really looking for something that was in the sustainability space that that was, you know, make a difference. Yeah, ever since I was a kid, I was always very interested in recycling and the environment. Um, I was even in a commercial for uh, our local county's recycling program, uh, teaching people how to recycle. So um, I'm sure that VHS exists somewhere. Um, just need a player to find it, right? Um, and so, you know, I had a couple opportunities to engage with various companies in the sustainability space, but then I ended up at Inspiration due to the mission as well as the people. The people were really what made the difference for me here. Um, and I feel like that's one of those things that you can change your job title, you can change your duties, you can change your company, but you're not going to be able to change the people you're working with unless you, you leave a company. And so the people here is really what drew me. Um, um, and uh, being able to really carry out and work towards a climate-friendly mission with a great group of people was—I mean, it was—it was the dream. Awesome. And 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 you know, it, it's interesting. You know, when we talk about what inspires people, when there's you know, inspiring people to come into the sector, there's in, inspiring people to you know, join the right companies for the right reasons. And you know, what what kind of what kind of things drew you to the people that you're currently working with? Yeah, I so some of them I had only spoken to, you know, they were in California, so I'd only spoken to them on Teams or whatever. But then they had a an in-person all-company summit here, um, and I got to meet everyone in person as well. Um, and it was just the, I mean, they're, I mean, A, they're just good people, you know, they're the people I can, I can hang out with, I can talk to. Um, but they were all extremely passionate about what they were doing. And one of the great parts about being here at Inspiration when I am uh, is because we are in such hyper growth mode. I, I joined last year, so I've been here um, 14 months, I believe now. And so I really had that opportunity to see the company grow from very, very small to, I mean, we're almost, we're 30-ish today, and we're going to be increasing that number significantly over this year and the next year. And so I've really been able to see that journey. And that first group of people really you know, set that tone, that tone of, hey, we're all here to work together. We're really excited to be part of something that's new and big and that we can all grow together into something, something huge and something really impactful. Um, and everyone was just really sharp too. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's always good to be the, uh, you know, I hate to use the word stupidest, but it's, it's, it's great to be the, the dumbest person in the room, right? It, it served me very well. For, for my, throughout my career. So yeah, it, it works. Um, you, you touched on your, your role before, so it sounds like you're wearing a lot of different hats. Um, you know, we do see a lot of people that are either looking to put their, you know, put their toe in the, in the startup world or are curious about the startup world. You know, I think we're always cautious to educate that there's kind of the romantic, you know, fun, amazing, hyper side of it. And then there's obviously some, some challenges, you know, what have been some of your kind of key learns if you had to advise others on, you know, the best way to navigate the the startup world because you've been in a that's pure startup you know if you're at 30 now and you joined there were what three <laughs> yeah I, I think it was nine 
nine? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, we had only, so all of the paperwork was signed, what, May 5th of 21. And I was August 5th is when I came on. So it's been a, it's been a journey, but I mean, number one is going to be adaptability and flexibility. If you want a job where someone's going to give you a playbook, this is not the kind of environment. And I don't really like to necessarily use the word startup. It's really more of the earlier stage hyper growth, because that hyper growth piece is really key because you could be working at a startup and it not be rapidly growing. The hyper growth piece really indicates that, you know, listen, you need to be adaptable for your speed, what you're doing. And everyone does wear a lot of hats. I wear many, but, um, you know, sometimes we need folks to, to help out in different areas of the business. And I also think that having a no job too small attitude is really key. Um, because I mean, you know, I mean, today, you know, I went and picked up lunch for people, but you know, other people would have totally done it as well. Right. Cause sometimes we need to do the lunch. Sometimes we need to order office supplies. Um, you know, our CTO was building a desk the other day. Um, you know, and so it's, we're all in this together. Humility is one of the inspiration core values. And I think that really speaks to the fact that, you know, it's not a, an extremely hierarchical um, organization and you really just need to be, again, no job too small, but then, you know, wanting to learn, wanting to dig in. And I think another thing that's really important is being comfortable in discomfort because you might not know what's happening and that's okay. You might not be the expert on what you're doing and that's okay. That's where the learning comes from. Um, just from my personal experience in working in, I never worked in healthcare before I helped build hospitals, um, you know, but I learned and it was okay. And I asked questions and I learned and I became very good at it. Um, and so, so yeah, I think that adaptability, um, the, the leaning into the discomfort and really that sort of no job too small um, is really, really key. But then, I mean, also the, the bit of advice I would give to folks who are interviewing is make sure that you're not just being the one who's being interviewed. Make sure that you are also being very um, keen on interviewing those folks at the company who you have the ability to talk to. Because I like to remind candidates that interviews are two ways. I'm interviewing you, but you are also interviewing me and the company because it will not suit either of us if it's not a good fit at the end of the day. So I always recommend make sure you have good questions and not just, oh, what does a day-to-day you know, look like in this role? Because that's a, that's a gimme. Um, you know, go that next step. Ask about you know, what, how folks get along, you know, what the culture is actually like. And I know culture, culture, culture is such a buzzy word. And sometimes it can mean we give you free lunch, but um, you need to dig below the surface because the culture that you become a part of, um, not only does that really guide the way that your every day is going to be for the foreseeable future, but you also are additive to that culture. And if it doesn't fit with what you believe in um, or, or what you're comfortable with, there's going to be a dissonance and that's, it's just not going to work. That's really interesting because I, I think you're right. Sometimes we think of culture in a company as, hey, what am I joining? And that is a part of it. But what am I bringing is also, and I've, I've actually never even thought of it in that, that way before. So that's, that's, that's a really cool, cool, cool narrative there. I think also, but taking that one step further in the earlier stage company, uh, you know, sort of environment is 
every single person is even more so important because that's a, such a foundational piece of the culture too. So as you grow from 10 to 15 to 30 to 50, um, you know, people who join later, sure, will have a little bit less impact than those maybe earlier people did. But what I think is such a great opportunity with earlier stage companies like Inspiration is that, you know, I mean, I, you can set the tone. You can help build and grow the culture in the way that you think is really beneficial. Um, and then you can start building your team um, to, to really st- sort of start to, to navigate what you think is good and what you think leads to a growth sort of mindset and an excellence mindset. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I think that's a really good, good, good comment. And um yeah, it's interesting you say about lunch. I was des- definitely asking myself a few questions about life when I was carrying that plant up three flights of stairs the other week. So, um, yeah, I, <laughs> you've got to be willing to take these jobs on. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it, you know, our CEO was in meetings literally back to back. And I noticed I was like, he's never going to eat lunch. And so I just like knocked on the window and was like this, you know, like spoon, spoon to your mouth kind of hand movement. And he's like, oh, yes, please. And I'm happy to, you know, do those things for people um, because people do them for me too. Right. And so, you know, we're all here to help each other out. It's all about teamwork. No, definitely. So, so you know, if if you look at um, so, so you, obviously your EV side of sustainability, which you're you're in at the moment, but you know, what, what other areas of sustainability are you super passionate about at the moment and and, and excited about? Because you mentioned biomass and a few of the other sort of pieces of your past. I'd be curious what what's still top of mind for you. You know, it's interesting with the biomass piece and the EV piece because, well, I mean, even though we do charging infrastructure as well, it's it's kind of now I'm doing the things that use the energy when before I was, you know, actually, you know, creating fuel. fuel exactly. Um, I mean, number one, I mean, transportation is is the highest emitter, right? I mean, and so that is another reason I joined Inspiration because it is such a, a, hu- a source of huge impact. However, for me, another area that I'm very interested in is zero waste and recycling. Um, you know, I mean, since I was a kid, you know, like I said, you know, I would, I would walk around the, the farm I grew up on and pick up cans and uh, recycle them. I mean, and I just, I enjoyed that. And I think that there's with, sometimes with, when you talk about ESG and sustainability, from a more corporate standpoint, it can feel as if um, one person can't really do much about it, right? But I think that when you start getting into a more zero waste mindset or um, you know, learning more about recycling and waste management and how things happen in your community, it's something that every single person can actually have a direct impact on. And some people say, oh, well, you know, if everybody else isn't doing it right, why should I bother doing it right? Well, that's why you should bother doing it right, because you can do it right. You know how to do it right. And who knows, maybe you can teach someone else. You can start to set that standard. And so if you find me on Twitter, um, I always go back and forth with people about recycling. And I say, well, is this recyclable? How do you recycle this? Um, Because a lot of recycling just isn't profitable because people don't know how to do it. Um, And so plastic films cause a lot of... of, um, Uh, recycling sorting facilities to just go down. And so that's a lot of lost time. Um, And so we're, we're behind and then just zero waste. I mean, that's, you know, I'm trying to do as much as I can. Um, But the one thing I will say about all of that is you don't have to be perfect to make a difference. Um, You know, just doing one thing better is better than doing no things better. Fair enough. Oh, I like that. Um, and, and, you know, obviously, you know, so, so Brightsmith now, Strapline is, is live your purpose. Um, as someone that's doing that, um, you know, what does living your purpose mean to you? 
Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I like to see that as A, I understand the mission that I'm contributing to. Um, and, you know, I want to, <laughs> I know it always sounds so hokey and I know folks who I interview always say, oh, it sounds so hokey, but I want to leave the world a better place. I want to do something that is impactful and, you know, good for the environment and combats climate change. And even though it can sound very, you know, world PC, but it, it really isn't because it's, I mean, well, A, I mean, clean tech and now EVs are the largest source of investments these days. Um, so it's good business, first off, um, but it is impactful and we need more people across industries and across disciplines um, to get involved. And that's one of the great things about being able to recruit right now for, for, for inspiration is because I can kind of see where, where people might have transferable skills, right, and want to transition or pivot into the sustainability space. You don't have to have sustainability experience or ESG experience or EV or charging or renewables experience to get into that space. It's all about, you know, really focusing on those transferable skills. Um, but, you know, living my purpose, again, is going back to being able to see what I care about in the work that I do every day um, and wanting to leave the world a better place. There you go. A small, small task ahead of you. Um, so you, you, you touched on the skill gap there, and it's a really interesting one. So, you know, not only do we need to bring people in from different sectors and say we as in the, the, the clean tech community, um, we, we obviously need to navigate that challenge. But then also we want to do so when we're looking at sort of equal representation and, and, and diversity. So, um, you know, how either are you or are you planning to or have been previously sort of helped navigate that challenge? Because you know, it is, it is a hard one. It is one that's very real for everyone that's hiring at the moment. Well, I think that DEI in general is something that a lot of folks don't really understand fully. I think that if you are in, for example, a manufacturing organization or a company that's heavily driven by hard KPIs, you want to assign a number to those and, you know, say we're going to hire X people of this demo, et cetera. But that's really not the way to look at it. Uh, DEI has three components, right? It's diversity, equity, and inclusion. So there's a retention piece there. It's how do you engage your employees you already have? Um, equity is another piece there, is making sure that everyone is treated equally and also has the, the, the same opportunities. Um, I'm being very reductive, you know, and trying to summarize, but then, and diversity, I think, you know, people tend to oversimplify it as just looking at um, maybe ethnic backgrounds or or, or gender identity um, when it can actually be where people live or what their educational experience is or what their work experience is. Um, you know, I mean, I'm the first person in my uh, immediate family between me and my grandparents um, to get a, an advanced degree. So, you know, I mean, I come from an area in which, you know, not anybody who I grew up with had an advanced degree. So, um, you know, being able to kind of go into these uh, different sort of situations and look at what people have had the opportunity for, um, you know, maybe someone doesn't have a master's degree, but they've been doing that job for 20 years and they're experts at it. So that is a way to achieve diversity. So widening your net is the number one thing that you can do to increase diversity. So not just looking um, in all the usual places that you might look. 
Um, and then two is the E&I piece is really focusing on nurturing what you have. You know, it's, it's uh, easy to bring somebody in if you find someone, but um, if you lose someone, that's, that's tough. You've got to backfill. Um, and then you also lose a, a part of the organization and that's, that's tough. So obviously, even in a leadership role, um, you know, one of the things that we're seeing in the marketplace is um, people who are embarking on their first leadership role. However, given the skill gap and given the hyper growth of some organizations, they're maybe not being eased into that role. And they're kind of having you know, a large number of people, um, you know, put, put under their remit um, a very probably slightly earlier than they would have done in other industries. So um, I'm curious, what would be your top one or two tips to a, a, someone who's just moved into a leadership role? Sure. And especially now, you know, with the labor market being as it is, I know things are tight. I know I'm constantly getting new requisitions to hire for. <laughs> and so it can be very easy to get lost in the just the rapid rate of getting things done, getting deliverables out, meeting customer needs, which are all very, very important. However, the people on your team are equally, if not more important, because they're also the ones who are going to support you and support the company. Um so I would say make time for your people. Make time to talk to your people. Don't just make it perfunctory at every single performance review. I always tell folks, if you are surprised at your performance review, there is something very wrong. <laughs> There's something very, very wrong going on with communication or management style. And so a few minutes here and there of check-ins, you know, whether it be every week, every other day, every other week, to just get to know, engender trust, talk to your people. I mean, you can go a very long way with just taking a few extra minutes to pause and talking to someone. I always appreciate when folks, you know, when we start meetings, it's very easy to jump in and say, okay, let's just get to it. Um, but I appreciate when, um, you know, my colleagues say, so how are you doing? You know, what's, you know, what's new? You know, what's going on? Did you have a good weekend or, you know, how was your birthday or things like that? And and not just to say, oh, it was good and then move on. Really try to have just those short little conversations to to build that relationship and build that trust. Yeah. No, that true authentic leadership piece. Don't don't be afraid to 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 be human with it as well, which is a uh... And then the second piece, I mean, don't be yeah, no, don't be afraid to screw it up right? If you don't get it right all the time, and this is not just with the people, I'm saying in general, like if you don't get it right all the time, that's okay. Take every single failure as a learning opportunity. And I feel like that's something we say a lot, but um, I feel like it bears repeating. No, definitely. I agree with that one. And then um, um, last, look, looking back on your, your, your career so far, if you go back and have a conversation with a younger Erin, what, what would be the one piece of advice you'd, you'd give her? If you haven't covered it already. Yeah, no, it's like, girl, you don't want to work for the government. <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle the bureaucracy. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. No, no, know yourself. All right, cool. Yeah. Oh, and also buy Amazon, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had also. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, Aaron, look, I really appreciate your time. This has been great and um, appreciate you you sharing some of your words of wisdom with us. It's um, you know an exciting time for the industry and, and um, you know, playing it forward and, and offering some mentorship like this is really important. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure.